0: the city of Chicago, and it is uh, an honor to be here again with, with everyone. If you're new here, uh, we are in the midst of this series during Lent called Jesus Walks Into a Bar. And you might wonder, this church seems a little bit strange for talking about these kinds of things. I don't know what Bible translation you're reading, but, but this is just the concept that we believe that, that Jesus would have many conversations with many different people. And it's in a bar setting that sometimes those things happen. Now, if you think this series is about is about like getting some ammunition to have a good Facebook fight when you get home with somebody that's different than you, you've probably missed the heart of what we're talking about here. Okay? Because the reason we're doing this series is so that we can learn how to better dialogue and how to better love our neighbor as Jesus would tell us to do. In fact, uh, Pastor Dan last week was sharing this image of how it's important for us to see that love and truth must never separate. In order for us to love someone, we must be truthful in that love. But for there to be truth heard in a Christian way, there must be love that comes with that as well. And so that is our hope. That is why we are doing this series. Because we know that we enter into difficult conversations with people who might believe things different than us. But it's with that that I want to start off with uh, an illustration or an image here. Um, Any baseball fans here today at church? All right. Uh, Cubbies, what? They got like is it like next week already that the baseball season marathon begins, right? Um, anybody here been to a, a baseball game like in person before? Okay, cool. Uh, there's one thing that just blows me away every time I get to go to like a major league baseball game. It's, it's simply this, that when you show up to the game, you see really how close that pitcher is to the batter, Right? And then all of a sudden you see this dude just wind up and just throw apparently something. But the velocity and speed of it is just incredible. You ever had that thought before? You ever thought about the amount of precision it takes to hit a ball and have it be a home run? You ever thought about how crazy it is that somebody can stand up there hopefully with a bat that's better than the big ox here right okay that they stand up there and the pitch comes and boom they hit it and they hit it just in that perfect spot and it just going 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 gone in fact if you were able to pick up that bat after somebody were to hit a home run you would notice really quickly that there would be this ball mark right here there would be the spot where the ball made contact with the bat. We would call that the sweet spot. Shake your head like this, yeah. The sweet spot. But what's interesting is this, when you think about the precision of baseball, is that if that ball mark were to be just like an inch to the left, that's a fly ball to the left fielder. Or if it's a couple inches below that, that's a ground ball to the shortstop. Or if it's above that, that that could easily be a fly ball to the catcher. And see, when you look at the bat, they seem incredibly similar. I mean, there's not a lot of space here on this. But when you see the result, when you walk out the result, they're different. They're extremely different. And today, I want to hold on to this image for us. Because we're talking about another religion. A religion that I want to argue first seems somewhat similar to us as Christians. Because we're talking about the religion of Islam. are like, wait a second. Similar? Yeah, when we compare Islam to some of the other religions that we have talked about before. When we're talking about Hinduism and Buddhism that there are actually some things in Islam that are on the bat that seem to be somewhat similar at first glance. But before we get into this, I want to set some ground rules here. Because when I say Islam, what I'm not talking about is extremist Islam, okay? And I know this last week, this is going to be hard for us to do, because once again we saw another terror attack happen in London. That when we say Islam here today, I'm not talking about radical extremists, but rather I'm talking about the majority of Islam that would not condone this action and behavior. Because I would hope in the same way that if you ever engage with somebody who's different ...than us, that's different, that, that doesn't believe in Christianity... ...that they would at least give you the fair chance to say... ...you know what, we don't believe what Westboro Baptist believes. That when these people go and picket the soldiers' funerals... ...and have these awful signs... ...that even though they say they're Christians, they are furthest from them. Amen? And it's important for us that we understand today that we establish those ground rules so that we can better dialogue and better love our neighbor that's around us. So let's begin with some basic facts of Islam. First, um, where what, what do they believe? Well, first off, the, the core tenet is that there is only one God. He's called Allah. Uh, Islam, that word, literally means to be in submission and, or, or, and obedience to God, to Allah. Not to self, but to be obedient to the one true God. The followers of Islam are, are called Muslims, and it's the second largest religion in the world. In fact, Pew Research has said recently that Muslims are the only major religious group projected to increase faster than the world's population as a whole. That there are 1.2 billion Muslims in our world today. And it is growing faster than Christianity. Faster than any other religion that exists today. Even in the midst of all of the bad press and all of the things that are going on, people are still a part of this religion. But let's talk about some other things that seem to be similar, that seem to be on the bat here. The first one would be this, is that uh, Muslims believe in the creation account like we do. That they would look at Genesis and they would say, yes, this is how God created everything. This is how we're here. That it was God spoke and boom, it came into existence. That they would also have a sacred text like we do. Now obviously here, just so we're clear, I'm not saying that our sacred text is the Quran. okay? Let's be clear, that would be my last sermon here at Trinity, alright? I'm not saying that, alright? I'm just saying that they hold highly a text like we hold the scriptures high. They would hold the scriptures high, but they would hold the Quran to be higher because those are the words of, from the prophet Muhammad as he heard them from the angel Gabriel. But they hold that text high as as the way to live and instruction in life. They also have a high regard for prayer. Seeing that prayer is an important thing. Something that we did before this message began. And we've been doing throughout this worship service. And I pray that you pray in your life as well. Because it's a great discipline for us as followers of Jesus. And lastly, they too believe... That there will be a judgment day. There will be a day when God, the Creator, will judge those. And either we will live with Him for eternity and be rewarded for our faithfulness. Or we will be eternally condemned. And live separate from our Creator. But there are also uh, five pillars to Islam. I'll go through these quickly. The first one being Shahada, which is the confession, a public confession that someone of Islam would make. Where they would simply testify that there is only one God and that Muhammad is the messenger of God. That's the first and most important pillar. The second being Salat, this, this time of prayer five times a day that I recite that creed, but I'm praying to the one and true God. The third one would be fasting. And honestly, I don't know how to say that word, okay? That's why I'm not going to say it. But it would be fasting as this pillar of Islam. That during the season of Ramadan, this is what I do to show my devotion to the one true God. A a hajj, a pilgrimage to the holy sites of Islam. And lastly, zakat, this, this practice of caring for the poor. And while we hear lots of evil things that happen in the name of Islam, there are many Muslims that are doing incredible things in their community and where they live. Because one of their pillars is simply to care for the poor. But in the midst of all of these similarities, let's be very clear that there is one big thing today that I want to talk about that really just misses the bat completely. That really is the difference between us and those of Islam. And it's simply this right here. Who is God? Who is this one true God? And how do we know that we are good with Him? And how you answer this question reveals much about who you think God is. And it's important for us to be clear. According to Scripture, who does God say that He is? One of our other pastors on staff uh, Uh, Nick Price, he's uh, the site pastor at Trinity Kimberly Way. Has done a lot of uh, study in Islam. And he was telling me a story this last week. And uh, it was a story that he was having a conversation with a a woman who was Muslim. And he was asking uh, basically that question. Who is God and how do you know that you're good with Him? And her response was this. She said simply that my life is, is like this blank canvas here. And then at the very beginning of my life, it is just white and pure and clean. But the reality is that the world that we live in, that there are many times where I just kind of mess up. And I fall short of what God calls me to do. And it's in those moments and times where where I fall short that, that God puts this black space over my white canvas. And then as life continues, there, there may be times where I forget to pray. That, that day was just kind of a, a busy day. And so there becomes another black space on my white canvas. Or maybe there's a time that I'm disobedient and I, and I don't love my neighbor or care for the poor as I should. And as time goes on, this white space becomes darker and darker and darker. But she said this, my only hope is this, that I know that there will be things that I do that that are against what God desires for me to do, but my only hope is that at the very last day, at the day of judgment in my life, that there will be just one little space of white. Because if God sees that space, he will reward me for my faithfulness. And he will give me treasures in heaven. Who is God? And how do we know we're good with him? Jesus himself would have a conversation with a group of people. A really important conversation. And one where he would answer that question. Who is God? And how do I know I'm good with him? And it would come from Luke chapter 15. In fact, Jesus would tell three stories, three parables. Uh, the parable, or a parable is simply this. An earthly story with a spiritual truth. See, Jesus, as he would come into our world, he would teach people by using this method. Sharing just a very tangible way to express the spiritual truth of what God is going to do. And in these three stories, the pinnacle story is the last of the three. It's known as the parable of the prodigal son. But today, we'll call it the parable of two sons. In fact, I want to look at Luke 15 here for us. We see that this father has two sons, a younger son and an older son. And Jesus tells us that the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. See, during the culture, during this time, what what Jesus is saying is that the younger son is coming to his father and he's saying, Father, I want my inheritance right now. And it's not just a matter of, hey, give me 20 bucks so I can go get some Cheetos from the gas station, right? Which would be a lot of Cheetos, now that I think about it. But no, it's deeper than this. He's saying, Father, I wish you were dead. Because the only way the son can get the inheritance is if his father were to die. And so the father decides, this. He, he, he agrees to this and he divides up his wealth between his sons. And he gives that wealth to his younger son. Jesus continues the story, he says the younger son leaves the family... He says, peace out. I don't want to do anything more with you and the family. I'm cutting my ties. And he goes to a faraway country. And he squanders that wealth. He does all kinds of things with that wealth. But eventually, he gets to this place of where he realizes that he needs to eat. And maybe he recognizes in this moment that he has had another moment of where he is covering up his canvas. Where his darkness is being seen. And we read that he, being the younger son, persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. See, again, culturally what's happening is Jesus is speaking to the Jewish people. And even if this were to be a conversation with a Muslim, this would be the most offensive thing. Because here, this this son has now become a servant to a farmer. And it's not just that he's a servant to a farmer, but he is with the pigs. The most disgusting animal. I can promise you, you're never going to have a conversation with a true Muslim in a bar, because they don't drink, And you're not going to be having bacon for breakfast, all right? Because this is the most offensive, the most unholy, the most disgusting animal. But Jesus says in this parable that he has stooped so low that now he is associated with the most unholy thing. And his canvas is completely black. In fact, we read that the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And I think that often in our lives, if we're truthful and honest, if we were to begin, this this is really what our canvas looks like, amen? That this is really who we are. That maybe we didn't ask for our parents' inheritance and just cut ties, but we too, in our sin, continue to struggle again and again and again. That as the scriptures say in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have fallen short. That our canvas is this dark blackness and completely covered. And and just like this prodigal, we have this moment where he too, Jesus says, comes to his senses. He comes to realize the gravity of what he has done. And he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here i am dying of hunger i will go home to my father and say father i've sinned against both heaven and you and i'm no longer worthy of being called your son but please take me on as a hired servant see what jesus is sharing here in this story is he's saying that this this son now thinks he's fully aware of who he is, and he thinks if he comes to the Father and just says the right words, if he says, just make me a servant, I don't need to be a son anymore, that maybe this Father will be so gracious that he'll take one of these pieces off, and that a little bit of white will show. A little bit of grace will be heard. And see, I wonder, I wonder for you and me today, if we bring this same mentality into church every single week. I mean, I've heard people say, well, you know, got to get up early today, got to get right with the big man, got to go to church, because then this week will be blessed because I showed up on Sunday. See, did this place feel more like an act of service or home for you? See, I pray today that we would see this place as a place of service. Or our God as one that we have to serve to be loved. But we see here what happens next. That the father, he decides the son to return home to his father. And see, there must have been all of these thoughts going through the son's mind. Reciting that great speech that he was going to have reciting that moment of, like, just make me a servant. I'm just hungry. That's all I want. He would have known culturally that everybody in the town when he showed up would have came. They would have broke a pot in front of him and said, this is what you did to the Father. Get out of here and go to the next town. But it's in this moment when he comes back that everything changes. Because Jesus says this, that when he returned to his father while he was still a long way off his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion he ran to his son embraced him and kissed him do you hear the words here the father gathered up his robe right he started to run right a little bit easier with the robe instead of khakis here this morning right And the father, this old man, against all cultural norms, he's running to his son. And he gets to his son, he kisses him, he embraces him, and his son has the speech set. It's all ready. He says, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father stops him in that moment. He says, I don't want to hear your plea." But he says these words. Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring on his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. That this is what the Father has done for us. Is that he saw us at a distance. And he comes and he robes us. He gives us shoes again. And I love shoes. He gives us a ring and he says, you're not a servant. But you're a son. And see, it's in this moment right here that scholars will say that Jesus is talking about not only this beautiful story of forgiveness and redemption, but he's talking about ultimately what he will do for you and me on the cross. That he will come and he will robe us And He will make us new again. Because what Jesus will do for us in this moment is that He sees our sin. He sees our brokenness. But instead what He says is this is exactly why I came and died for you. Somebody say amen. Amen. That this is why God is here. That this is who He is. And what He has done for us. And this... Is the good news that he robes us and he makes us new and clean. In fact, I love these words of Isaiah. Let's read them together. He says this though. You're done? technical fail- failure. Last night we used spray paint. People complained about it. So, <laughs> But do you see, you see what God has done. You see how we know that we are good with him because of who he is. When the son would come back home, There was an older brother, and the older brother was angry, because he didn't ask for the inheritance, and we read that he wouldn't go in to the party. But Jesus puts this really interesting point in, because I think that we fall into that category of either recognizing our brokenness, recognizing our struggle, Or we think that I actually am made right because of the good that I've done. Much like the older brother. But in the same way that the father humiliated himself for the younger son. He would do the same for the older brother as well. We read that his father came out. He leaves the party. He humiliates everyone again and he begs his older son in the greek the original language the, the word beg there is parakaleo which means that he would desire to appeal to entreat not to scold or say you don't get it but to reconcile to bring him back just as he did with his younger son Because in Islam, the thought is this, that I have to behave so that I belong. But this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I belong, and as a result, I behave. Amen? That I belong because of what God has done for me, and because of that, I behave. This is what I'm called to do. And I think in our lives often, we get caught talking about the technicalities and the precision of a bat. And we talk about just all of these other pieces of why you hit a grounder to the shortstop or a fly ball to the catcher. I pray that as we engage and dialogue and have conversation with the Muslim, but anybody else who does not know this, I pray that we would focus and talk about the sweet spot, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what our God, the creator of the universe, has came and done for a bunch of people. For everyone. Who doesn't deserve it. Let's pray. Father God. I thank you for the love. And the compassion. That you give. Us. And God I pray. That as we hear once again. About your compassion. Of who you are, and how we're good with you. God, I pray that we would just boldly proclaim and share that good news, that sweet spot of grace. Lord, you're unlike any other being or or person, Lord. You are above us, and I pray Just in thanksgiving for your mercy, but that we would be so bold to share that great news with those around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ? For more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group, please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T-L-C, the number 4, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.